It's good to see you. I, I'm, I'm sure uh, that most of you, uh, like myself, have been keeping a close eye on what's been going on this past week in the nation of Haiti. Um, if you're not aware, um, there was a devastating earthquake of about a 7.0 on the Richter scale on the little island of Haiti. And that nation, uh, one of the poorest and most destitute already in our hemisphere, has undergone a cataclysmic disaster. Um, the nation is falling apart literally from the inside out as the buildings and the infrastructure and uh, really even the administration of the nation has fallen in on itself through this earthquake. And I'm sure you've been, you've been following it like we have. And, and the numbers are still coming in. The estimates are still coming in on just how extensive the damage is, not only to property, but to human life. Uh, some people are numbering the loss of life in this tiny little nation in the hundreds of thousands. And it will be a long time before we ever really know just how extensive the devastation in that sense really was because of the damage that's come because of the earthquake. It's been hard for people to get in. It's been hard for aid organizations to get there, but they're starting to make their way there. Um, and as you've been watching it and we've been watching it, I'm sure if your, your heart is, is like ours, and I'm sure that it is, you've been wondering, what do you do? What can I do? Um, what do they need? How can I be a part of, uh, of really helping this nation in, in the midst of this crisis? And I want you to know that as a church, we're tremendously blessed uh, to be connected to a number of organizations who have really whole arms of their organization who are designed to go and to meet the needs that are, needs that are existing in, in places like Haiti right now. Um, we're blessed to be able to do work with the, the International Mission Board, and, and they have a whole arm of their organization that is tied directly to disaster relief in not only this nation, but in nations all around the world. And they are starting to, to gather supplies, gather people, and they've got disaster relief crews on their way. Some might even be on ground in Haiti right now. Uh, I'm not really sure. I haven't gotten the update. Um, but they are making the needs known. And Ray wrote a great post on the website uh, this past week about the situation in Haiti and about a way that you can find out through the International Mission Board what the needs are and then pray and then give accordingly however you feel led to the IMB's efforts at meeting the needs of the devastation in Haiti. Um, but we're also blessed to be a part of another organization, uh, which is, by God's grace, um, they've acquired some landing time on the airstrip in Port-au-Prince in Haiti, and they're flying down with some needs, and they're going directly to Haiti to the local churches that we've got relationships with in an effort to actually understand what the need is in the local church. How are the local churches doing? How can we better equip the churches to meet the needs of the people that they've been reaching? You know, Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Galatia, he said this. He said, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Let us do good to everyone. Let us seek to meet the needs of this nation that is falling apart from the inside out. Let us seek, the, seek to meet the needs of everyone, but let us especially seek to meet the needs of those who are the household of faith. And so one thing that you can do is as you pray and, and you ask God how you can be a part of, of helping this nation, one thing that we've got that you can be a part of is our connection to the IMB who's going to seek to meet the needs of this nation, to meet the needs of anyone in this nation. Clothing, food, shelter, medicine. They've got teams that are there and there are ways that you can be a part. But then next week, I want you to pray. We're gonna take up a special offering for the nation of Haiti. And, and We've talked about this in the past, but one of the things that we were starting in the new year was every month for the fifth Sunday, we were going to take up a special benevolence offering that Sunday. 
And that offering would go to meet the needs of the people in this church and to meet the needs of the churches as they came to us that we were partnered with. And so next week, we're actually going to bump that offering up and we're going to take a special offering for the churches in Haiti. And 100% of that money is going to go to this organization that we're a part of that is on the ground directly with the churches in Haiti. All of the money that we are able to bring in next week will go to meet the needs of the household of faith in Haiti as they can begin to diagnose what those needs really are and then work with the churches to meet the needs that they're already involved in. So many times we go and try to imperialize not only our understanding and our sense of truth, but our own sense of what it means to equip and to help and to aid. And so we're actually going to be connecting with local churches as they've been living and working amongst the people. And we're going to seek to meet the needs as they have defined them and as they let us know what they are. So be in prayer this week as you have been for that nation. Be in prayer for the leaders of that nation. Be in prayer for the leaders of surrounding nations, our own nation, as we seek wisdom and how to go and, and be a part of what God is doing in that place and bringing restoration to that, to that little island. Be in prayer for the people of Haiti. I mean, they're suffering a, a devastation and a circumstance in their life that most of us will never face. We'll never actually have to deal with the things that they're dealing with. We can get so far removed from what they're dealing with that it can become something that's forgotten. So pray this week for the people of that nation. Pray for wisdom from God for those who are going to meet the needs of the people in that nation. And pray about how you can be a part of what God is doing to meet those needs through a resource like the IMB, and we've got the information on the site, and through the resources like Churches Helping Churches, which we'll be giving an offering to next week to meet the needs of the household of faith. So continue to pray. Continue to, to pray for this nation. And in fact, let me, let, let me pray now for not only our time together, but for those people and for the church in that place today. Um, and then we'll, we'll continue on and get going. Father, thank you for the, uh, the continued and, and astounding privilege that it is to, <clears throat> to gather together as your people, to celebrate your grace, to celebrate your mercy, to celebrate your forgiveness, and to celebrate your power and your, and your sovereignty in our life. Thank you for that privilege. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in the nation of Haiti this morning. Much of what they know is, was up is now down. Everything about their life has been turned inside out and they face a, a circumstance and a situation that we can have a hard time even empathizing with, Lord. So we pray, be God to them this morning. Be with them in a way that we, we sometimes don't even know how to cry out to you in. Be their heavenly father who loves them, cares for them, who meets them in the deepest and most dark and, and lonely and, and disastrous times in their life. We pray for that nation. We pray for the people of that nation. We pray for the leaders, the pastors of that nation who are seeking to lead and care for and shepherd their people in the midst of this. And we pray for the leaders of that nation and the administration of that nation who is, as weak as it was, is devastated now. And we pray for the leaders of, of our nation and for the organizations who are going to, to aid this nation and bring relief to this nation. Give them wisdom. And we pray for the people here, not only in this church, in this city, in this state, but in this country, that we wouldn't turn a blind eye to what's going on. That we wouldn't pass by the images that come from that island and move on to the, to the images of Super Bowl playoffs. That we wouldn't pass by quickly what's going on. But give us a heart, a heart of, at bottom, a heart of human decency, compassion, and empathy to reach out to parents who are losing their kids, to kids who are losing their parents. But let us not pass by quickly what's going on, but open up our hearts. Lead us to pray. Lead us to serve. Lead some of us to go. Lord, help us to be a part of what you're doing 
to rebuild, restore, and redeem this broken place. Lord, we pray for our time together now. We pray that you change us. We pray that you take the, the broken pieces of our life and of our heart and of our soul and begin to rebuild them. We pray that you begin to rewire how we understand who we are and who you are. We pray that you give us a new motivation and reason for being your people in this place. And we ask this for your namesake, that you would be made much of through our lives. Amen. Amen. We are continuing our look at the disciples' prayer that's found in Matthew chapter 6. And we're looking at this in our effort to kick off our New Year's resolution to live a less religious life this year. I mean, our, our, our resolution, as we talked about a few weeks ago, was to live 2010 and from 2010 forward in a less religious way, to be less religious and to be more like Christ. And so to do that, we're looking at the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples in his great Sermon on the Mount, because this, this aspect of prayer, this practice of prayer, is one of the clearest and most powerful litmus tests that Jesus gave us for testing the authenticity of our faith for testing the sincerity of our faith, for testing the object of our faith. So in our effort to understand what it means for us to live a less religious life in 2010, we're unpacking what Jesus taught us about prayer and what we can learn about who we are and who he is through this practice. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 6. And as you do, I want to frame this teaching on prayer for you again. And I will probably frame this teaching on prayer for you again every single week as we're in this series because one of the things that's most dangerous about this prayer as we come to it, one of the things, really the worst thing about this prayer, if you can even say that, is our familiarity with it. I mean, the worst thing about coming to the Lord's Prayer and spending time looking at the Lord's Prayer or what we have called the Disciples' Prayer is really our familiarity with it. So what we're going to have to do as we go through this over the next few weeks is we're going to have to be intentionally willing to really forget what we've really learned about this over the years. We're going to have to be willing to lay aside many of the things that we've been taught about this prayer, that we've been taught about prayer itself. And we're going to have to be willing to lay aside many of the things that we've absorbed about this prayer. I mean, there's very few people in this room, no matter what your background is with the church, who aren't familiar with the Lord's Prayer. And that is probably the worst thing about it. We're too familiar with it. And so as we get into this prayer, I want to reframe it for you and come at it again for you and to try to unpack again what God is really after in this, what Jesus is really teaching in this. And what we're getting in the Lord's Prayer, in this prayer that he's teaching his disciples, is not an invitation to a religious duty. It's not an invitation to a religious ritual or a religious practice that if we get it down, like we get down a swing in baseball or a swing in golf, if we just get it down, then we'll hit it the way we want. This isn't a a ritual or a duty that he's teaching us to perform and that if we just do it, then we know that we'll pray well and we'll get what it is we pray for. It's not an invitation to a religious duty. It's not an invitation to a ritual. This prayer The disciples' prayer, it's an invitation to give your heart to a revolution. See, this prayer is far less about the mechanics of prayer. It's far less about the do's and the don'ts of prayer. 
This prayer that Jesus is teaching is about your heart. And this prayer is an invitation to God's revolution of your heart. And Jesus, as he teaches us this, is going to settle for nothing less than our heart. He's going to settle for nothing less than capturing our heart, the engine of our motivations, the engine of our desires, the factory of all of our delights and joys. To live a less religious and more Christ-like life in 2010 and from here forward, to live more gospel-centered and grace-driven and mission-minded, as Chris was talking about earlier, you've got to know this. You've got to know this. God wants to absolutely dismantle your heart. He wants to absolutely dismantle your world and then rebuild it by his grace. I mean, essentially, that's what a revolution is, isn't it? A revolution is simply a movement that acknowledges the the status quo and the system in control isn't up to par anymore. What it's after is no longer what it should be after. And the means of overthrowing that administration are no longer worthy anymore. So a good revolution turns to subversion. And it seeks to subvert the desires and the intentions of the current administration in an effort to overthrow them and bring an absolutely new administration that will bring a new desire, that will bring a new kingdom, that will bring a new rule. This prayer is an invitation to God's revolution of your heart. His revolution of grace. And this revolution, this transformation, this overthrow and dismantling of your heart and of your world is is not a revolution that's meant to tweak your life so that things that you currently love now, you can just love a little bit more. So that God can now come and, and be a part of your life so as to give you more of what you think you already want and more of what you think you need to be successful as you define it. The grace of Christ, listen to me, the grace of Christ was not given to make your kingdom work. The grace of Christ was not given to make your name great. The grace of Christ was given to invite you to a much bigger, much larger, much more expansive, much more joyful kingdom than the kingdom of your own self. And so to do that, to bring you there, God is going to absolutely dismantle your heart. He is going to dismantle your world, and he's going to rebuild it by his grace. This disciple's prayer in Matthew 6 that Jesus is teaching us is not a prayer about rules. It's not a prayer about ritual. It's not a framework to follow to get the things that we think we want. It's an invitation to give your heart to a gospel-centered, grace-driven revolution. And it's a cry of submission to God's intentions to transform who you are from the inside out. This prayer that Jesus is teaching us is a prayer that says, I want your grace to change me. I want your grace to transform me. More than anything else, what I want is to be broken and rebuilt by you. That's what this prayer is inviting us to. So if you've got it open to Matthew 6, let's look at it really quick. Let's understand how this works and how we get to that. Jesus starts this great 
teaching. In verse 5 of chapter 6, we're going to read it again. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. But truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. From the very outset of Jesus' teaching about prayer, we see that this revolution that Jesus is inviting our heart into This transformation that Jesus is drawing us into is about who we are at our deepest and most fundamental levels. And we see that our heart, our hearts are going to have to be rewired. They're going to have to be dismantled and taken apart. Jesus, in the very beginning of this teaching about prayer, uncovers the very dark reality that our, our love of self is so deep. Our love of ourselves is, is so pervasive that we will actually take intimate moments of what are meant to be worship before God, intimate moments of what are meant to be communication and communion with our Heavenly Father. We will take intimate moments of worship and turn them into moments of worship of self. It's almost irrational, isn't it? We will take the most unspeakable privilege of coming to the creator of the universe who has called us to himself and redeemed us by his grace. We will take moments of intimacy with him and turn them into moments of worship of ourselves. And what looks like to the outside world, a moment of, of devotion, a moment of, of real sincere, heartfelt worship of God may actually be, this is what Jesus is saying, it may actually be an idolatrous and godless moment of self-worship. This is what Jesus is doing at the very beginning of this teaching on prayer. He wants us to see the depth of the sin in our hearts because he's calling us into a revolution that will dismantle and rewire everything we know about who we are. And Jesus takes this great privilege of prayer and he says, look at this, here's how irrational the sin in you is. You will take this moment of worship before God and communication before God and use it as a way to worship yourself in an effort to make yourself look like something in someone else's eyes. This is how irrational this really is. And one of my favorite pastors out there today, Paul Tripp, he says that in moments like this, when we take things like prayer or moments of ministry, moments of involving ourselves in other people's lives, moments together with other people reading the word, any moment of ministry with someone else, we're prone by sin to take these things and make them about ourselves and not about God. And he says that in those moments, 
Far from being disciples, followers, children of God, we're actually what he calls glory thieves. We're actually glory thieves. Our devotion at that moment was not about God at all, he says. And in that, you're robbing God of his honor, and you're committing an act of horrible idolatry, and you're naming it prayer, prayer requests, or modeling, get this, in an effort to make it acceptable to your conscience. In an effort to make your, I let go of the advancement and the passion for my name. I let go of the advancement of me and I let go of the advancement of my glory in the pursuit of everything that would put me in the center and I give myself I give all that I am and all that I will be to you and to your glory. Lord, help me to commit myself to the demise of my name and the advancement of your name. May your name and your glory be at the center of all that I do. That's what it is to pray. Hallowed be thy name. That's what it is to have our desires, our passions, our beauties brought into alignment with God's. And that's how Jesus starts this unbelievable invitation to a revolution because the reality of it is I want me some me. I like my name. I like my reputation and I think I know what's best for it. So the first thing about this prayer is it's drawing us into this whole idea that our heart is going to have to be dismantled. But God is going to begin building it back together by his grace and the next thing Jesus says is as you pray, Hallowed be be thy name. He says, your kingdom come. This is what you're to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what's being said. Here's what Jesus is saying in this. He's just, and I want to make this as simple as I possibly can because there's lots to get confused about some things in here that I think people make confusing. The principle of what Jesus is after is this. When you have prayed and when you, your heart is being cultivated and turned and, and rebuilt by God's grace to want what he wants, to want his glory, to want his reputation to be made known, to live for his glory, his desires, here's what you pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And when you pray that, here's what you're saying. God, I want what you want. Now do whatever needs to be done to make that a reality. That's what you're praying when you say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The two are synonymous with one another. That's two ways of really saying the same thing. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And they're closely connected to the first petition, hallowed be thy name. For God's will and God's purpose has always been for his name to be made known, for his kingdom to be lived out in this earth. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we are saying, God, I want what you want now. Here's the uncomfortable part. Do whatever it is that you need to do to make that a reality in my life. Do whatever it takes in me and with my life for your name to be hallowed. I want what you want and do whatever it takes in me and with me to make it happen. God's kingdom, this idea of God's kingdom, is ultimately all about God's reign. It's all about God's rule. 
his rightful rule over all that is and all that's his, including your heart. And this petition, this prayer, is a plea for his reign, for his rule in your heart to achieve the purposes for which he has wired you for, and that's for his glory. That's what we're praying in this. Most of the time, this petition, this, this prayer that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a prayer that God do something to make the earth look like what eternity with him will look like. Make what heaven and eternity with you will look like right here, right now, on this earth, in this moment. And we pray this petition often in the midst of very difficult circumstances in life. In the hardest and darkest, most isolating and loneliest points in our life. We pray it when things go poorly. And I wrestle with this because I don't want you to get the wrong idea. There is a very real sense, I mean, true, there's a very real sense that it's very right to pray that. It's very right to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in the midst of some of the darkest circumstances that we face. It's very right to pray, thy kingdom come, God, right now in that nation of Haiti. Things are not as they should be. God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness and justice, not injustice. It's wholeness and life and joy, not sorrow and isolation and loneliness. It's a kingdom of life, not a kingdom of death. It's a kingdom whose king has come and whose will we want to be done. It's a kingdom, it's a reign, it's a rule that God established in the garden with creation, with Adam and with Eve, where he ruled over his people in his place as their king. And it's a kingdom that was ruptured by their sin and by their disregard for his rule and by their desire to make for themselves their own name, to expand their own kingdom, to determine for themselves what was right and what was wrong and what they should pursue and what should be the desiring glories and motivation in their life. It's a kingdom that was ruptured by sin and it's a kingdom from that point forward that God has sought with all that he is to restore and to make right. And it's a kingdom that God inaugurated in the coming of Jesus. It's a kingdom that he declared was at hand because the king was at hand. Righteousness, justice, wholeness, health, life, healing, redemption, restoration, all the things that God promised his people throughout the Old Testament as he was seeking to, to restore his kingdom had come true, not because a nation had been overthrown or a, a politic had been changed or a revolution of political and educational reform came through, but because the king had come. Jesus had come. And in him, not in anything else, righteousness and wholeness, restoration, the kingdom of God had come. And Jesus in his life and his death and his resurrection, defeating what our true enemies were of Satan and sin and death, inaugurated the kingdom of God, the restoration of God's kingdom on this earth, in this place. And he promised a day when he would return when all of it would be made right. When that kingdom that we long for as God's people would actually come in fullness a time would come when there would be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, no more illness, no more desperation, no more loneliness, no more abandonment. A time would come when it would all be washed away, but it's not there yet. And God created a people, the church, who were to be an outpost in a sense of this coming kingdom, who were to live the realities of life under the rule of this king, showing forth to a watching world what life under the rule of, of King Jesus would actually be like.
So there's a very real sense in which we pray, thy kingdom come, your will be done when we're suffering with the effects of sin, when we're suffering with the effects of, of life and, and ruin in a fallen world. I mean, this is not the way it was supposed to be. This is not the way that it ultimately one day will be. And so we long for it. We hunger for it. We join with the rest of creation and groan for the redemption of our bodies, for the redemption of all that God had created, for the day when God would come back and restore what sin has twisted and ruptured and make right what we know in our hearts and our lives to be wrong. And so we long for the fulfillment of God's kingdom because we know that ultimately in and of ourselves, we can't solve what we know is wrong. And we long for the coming of God's kingdom and the return of Christ and the consummation of all that he's promised because we know that education and politics and leaders and people like you and I can't fix the problem. And our hope is not there. We're citizens of a different kingdom with a different king and our hope is in the king. Our hope is in his love and his power and his return, his fulfillment of his promise according to his character. There's much that can be said about what it means to live that way, what it means to understand that, what kind of urgency that creates in our hearts and how we live in light of the reality that the kingdom has come and the kingdom is still coming to be fulfilled. There's much to be said about that. But this morning, let me say this, because what I think Jesus is after as he's teaching us to pray is he's after our hearts And so with all that can be said about what this kingdom of God means and and how we understand it through all of scripture, listen to me and let me say this. It makes very little difference, I think, to cry out, God, let your kingdom come in that person and in that situation and in that place and in that thing, to to cry out for his kingdom to come and to change all these circumstances around us if you are not willing to accept the demands that that prayer makes on your own personal life. If you are not willing to accept the demands that this revolution makes on your own heart and on your own kingdom, I think it makes very little difference how you pray that that kingdom come over there. God is after your heart. And I dare say you cannot pray that prayer with any integrity until you deal with that. Until you deal with this kingdom and your kingdom I don't know how you can pray that his kingdom come there with any integrity. I want to be king. You want to be king. Make no mistake, this is what Jesus is after in this teaching on prayer and this is what the revolution has to demantle in your heart and dethrone in your heart and begin to rebuild by his grace. You want your kingdom to come in your marriage and in your relationships and at your job and in your quiet time with yourself, you love yourself and you love you some you and you want your kingdom to come, your will to be done. You want your name to be made great and your reputation to be expanded. And Jesus is after absolutely dismantling that. Let me ask you, how how scary, be honest, be honest with yourself, how scary is it for you to actually pray, Lord, do whatever you will with me. You do whatever you will with my job, my family, 
my marriage, my health, my finances, because I want to be a part of the advancement of your kingdom. How scary is that to you, for you to actually mean that? To pray that with any level of honesty, sincerity, and integrity. If this means, Father, in everyone else's eyes and in the honesty of my heart, it means a life living, a life of want, a life of hurt, a life of suffering, a life of pain, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. I want what you want. I want your glory more than I want my comfort. How scary is that to you? This is what you've got to deal with. This is what he is after. He's not after teaching you some mechanical form to pray so that you're going to rub a bottle like a genie and get what you want if you do it right. He's after dismantling your heart. He's after you being controlled in your time with him and in your life and in the deepest recesses of your heart by a desire that says, may your name be the reason that I live. May you do whatever it takes to make that desire happen in me. This is what he is after. He's after rewiring your heart to say with honesty and sincerity before him, I know that it hurts and it's hard and I'm scared, but if financial struggle would expand your kingdom in this place and bring you glory through my life, your will be done. If this pain staying with my body for the days that you have given me would advance your name in the way that I depend upon you and live with this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. If loss and want and struggle would be the means through which your kingdom advances, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What would it look like? And that's the obvious, right? That's the hurt, right? Illness, loss, financial ruin. That's the obvious. But what about a community of people whose hearts are being dismantled by God's grace and being transformed and being rewired where there are people who have a great job, great marriage, healthy bodies, who actually get that promotion they've been working so hard for, and who are faced with a decision to move forward in life with a promotion that would take them away from their family because they're probably working 70, 75 hours a week now versus the 50, 55 they had been doing. Or maybe it'll cause them to move to another place and they'll have to face the reality that the people that you've given me, the relationships that you've given me to be your person in, to reflect your glory in, they're going to change. The community that you've given me to love, to serve, to build with, I'm going to have to leave. The family you've given me to lead, to guide, to shepherd, to love, I'm going to have to spend more time away from. What if we had a people who were being so rebuilt by God's grace that they looked at things like that and said, you know what? What is most important for the advancement of your kingdom and your glory? What if we found people who actually turned down circumstances like that so that it wouldn't take them away from the places and the people that God has put them in? What about that? That's where it really gets tough too. 
We're all okay to talk about all the, the hurt and the pain, but what about when things go well? Do we ever stop to look at what those opportunities mean? Not only for our lives and financial means, but in relationships that God has given us to be his people in. And listen to me as I say this. I say this very clearly. Don't miss this part of it. I am not judging anybody who takes a promotion, who with that promotion gets new houses and cars. and all. I'm not, I'm not judging that at all. I don't mean anything by that in judgment. What I am after is the same thing Jesus is after. What is your motivation in making those decisions? What is your motivation in making those decisions? Whose kingdom are you after? Whose glory are you after? Whose will are you after? What would it be like to be a people being dismantled by the grace of God, being rebuilt by his, by his grace and by his mercy for his glory? To be a people who pray, Father, in whatever way, in whatever thing, here's my life. Here is my life. Take all of it. Do with it as you see fit. Do with it that your name would be glorified in it. And do whatever it takes to make that happen. This is a prayer that is calling you and is calling your heart into a revolution. The reality of real revolutions is that on the backside of them, nothing is ever the same. Nothing remains the same. Everything gets changed. And God is after dismantling the little kingdom of yourself that you're so feverishly, feverishly trying to build, that you're scrapping around trying to expand. He's after dismantling that thing and rebuilding your heart by his grace to reflect the character of Christ. That's what he's after. That's what God is after. That's what I want for us. That's what I want for this church. That's what I, I want for Redemption Hill. That's what I want for God's people. I want us to want what God wants. And I want us to pray like Jesus prays. And this is how he prays. This is how he teaches us to pray. I want us to want more than anything, more than anything else, and also be willing for God to play that out in our life. I want us to want him more than anything. And I want us to be willing to let him play it out. That's what I want. That's what I'm after. And we can pray this because we have a good dad who's in heaven. Because we have a good dad who is in heaven, whose kingdom we have been made citizens of and whose glory is our chief desire. That's what I want for us. That's my desire for us. They knocked out the clock. This prayer, this prayer that Jesus is teaching, this prayer that Jesus is modeling, it's not a prayer to teach us, like we said, the rules of a ritual, the framework of some kind of duty. It's an invitation to a revolution. It's an invitation to his revolution of grace. It's an, listen, it's an absolute, and I don't want you to miss this, it's an absolute act of grace that God has actually chosen to do this in our hearts. I want you to get that. It's an it's an unbelievable act of grace on God's part that he has chosen to love so much 
to love us so dearly that he does not leave us where we are, but he dismantles us and he rebuilds us for the very thing he created us for. It's an unbelievable act of grace for God to dismantle our life and rebuild it. Here's the thing. Let me end it this way. A lot of you probably are sitting there listening, thinking, wondering. And if you're honest, you would say, if I were to ask you personally, I think I get, I think I get what you're saying. And I think I get what you're what you're saying that Jesus is after, but I can't do what you're asking. I can't pray like you're saying. If you're really honest, you would just say, I love me some me. I mean, really. If you get a shirt that says that, there's probably one out there. I love me some me. And I don't think that I can pray like that. I don't think we need level of sincerity and honesty and integrity. I can pray, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Let me say this and listen to me. All of you who are honest about that and those of you who are trying to be dishonest, God, God hears and sees the unedited thoughts. He knows. Listen, if you're honest about that and you can say that, you're in a very good place. You're in a very, very good place. There's a reason, there's a reason why Jesus taught this in prayer. There's a reason why this is a prayer. Don't miss the forest for the trees. You can't do this. In and of yourself, you don't have what it takes to dismantle the kingdom of your own desires. There's a reason why Jesus is teaching this in a prayer and calling us to God's revolution of grace to transform us and to change us. There's a reason why this is a petition of our heart to cry out to God because you can't do it. That's the beauty of it. You sit there and say, that's great, Robert. I would want that, but I can't do that. Fantastic. You're actually in the right place. You're actually doing better than the person next to you nodding, going, yep, got it, that's me. If you can't do it, there's a reason why it's a prayer. Because we ask our Father in heaven. We come to him. We come to the king. We come to the one who is inaugurating this new revolution and this new kingdom. And here's what you pray. Say, Father, I am so far away from what it means to be a follower of Christ. I am so far away from what it means to be your son or your daughter. I still chase my name and my kingdom. Father, won't you please forgive me? Won't you please deliver me from me. I want to be transformed to reflect the character of your son. I long to be a child of yours and I'm so far from what a true child of yours really is. 
Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is after a dismantling of your heart. And it's the most exciting thing. It's the most exciting thing that we could ever experience. It is a tangible reflection of his grace and his mercy towards us. And this prayer is an invitation to be a part of that revolution, to be a part of his work, to experience the power of his kingdom, not out here, but in here, in your heart, in your soul, where it really matters most. Let me pray for all of us. Father, thank you that you did not leave us to chase after ourselves, that you wired us not to be satisfied with ourselves, that you wired us to long for your glory, that you designed us and and wired us and created us to long for majesty, to long for grandeur, to long for something larger than ourselves and our own kingdoms. Father, forgive us for how easily satisfied we are with ourselves. Forgive us for how easily satisfied we are with trying to build a name for ourselves and expand our own little kingdoms and our own little territories. Father, thank you for your grace that comes and invites us into a revolution that dismantles the narrow and shallow kingdom that I try to build for myself and calls us into your kingdom, to your purposes, to your glory, to an expansive kingdom that knows no end to a kingdom of righteousness and justice and redemption. Father, thank you that you didn't leave us to ourselves, but that you came and that you are at work in us and that we can come to you as children and we can say, Dad, I'm chasing after myself again. Deliver me from me. I can't do it on my own. I want, I want what you want. I want your glory I want your name to be made known. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done in my life. Father, I want what you want. Help me to want it more. And Father, do what you've got to do to make it a reality. Father, let that be our heart. Let that be our prayer today. Let it be our prayer this year. Continue to do what you've got to do to cultivate that into our souls this morning as we go forward. We ask that you do this not so that we can check off a list and say, now I'm a better person and now I've done it right, but so that our hearts would be changed and our lives would be changed and your glory would shine out of our life and out of this place that people would see you and be drawn to you and your reputation, your character would be reflected and that we would taste and experience the joy that comes from being satisfied in a good dad who loves us and cares for us Amen. Amen.